I'm delighted to be here today. I, I prayed about what to preach on today. I almost went to the to that great supper, you know, homecoming, all the food, fun and fellowship that really are part of a homecoming day. But also there's a passage, if you'll turn with me to John, or excuse me, Luke chapter 15, uh, that, that tells of a homecoming. And uh, I've uh, entitled today's message, Lost and Found, but it's a great homecoming message theme. And I have, I have sensed the joy of the Lord in this place today. I thank you for your, your kindness to me, your friendliness, your fellowship. And we're going to trust God to bless this word here in just a few minutes. Look at uh, Luke chapter 15, and I'll start in verse 11. I'll read these scriptures and then come back and we'll walk through this passage together. And he said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And he divided unto them his living. Not many days after the younger son gathered all together, took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a great famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have fain filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy, thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no more worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Father, we pray blessing today on this church. Uh, bless and and, and take care of Brother Dan as he's away traveling. Anoint him as he speaks this morning and also tonight. I pray for the church back in Nightdale, Faith Baptist, that you'll bless that ministry today. And bless our time. Open our hearts to understanding. I don't have any really thing to offer, Father, apart from you. But I know I have your word. It's inerrant, infallible. It's indispensable, irrefutable. Uh, it's, it's your word. It's precious and holy. And I pray for these dear folks that are here today. I pray that the Spirit of God might take the Word of God. Thank you for the great singing, the great choir specials, the joy of the Lord I saw in the faces in this place today. And I pray now as we look at this Scripture that you'll do what only you can do. And I yield myself to you and I pray blessing on all parts of this service, the invitation, all the fellowship afterwards. In Jesus' name and for His sake I pray. Amen. Luke 15 is really a story of lost things. Look at verse 4 for just a minute. 
What man of you having a hundred sheep and lose one of them does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? Look at verse 6. And when he comes home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. So there's lost sheep. Look at verse number 8. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. And when she hath found it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together and said, Rejoice with me, for I have found the piece of silver which I had lost. So lost sheep, lost silver. And then verse number 24. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. So lost, silver lost, sheep, and I believe with all my soul, two lost sons. And I know that th this has been preached different ways. I believe, though, the primary, the primary interpretation of this passage of Scripture has to do with lost things. I believe both these sons were lost. One lost within the fold, as it were, and one lost because he was way lost, way out of God's will and direction. Now, you can, you can do it the other way. You can say, well, he was backslidden and all. I'm fine. Whatever you want to do with that. But, but today, we're going to talk about it as it, I think, relates to these lost people. Now, how did all this begin? How did this young man come to this point in his life when he made that decision? Well, first of all, it began with a desire. We use the word lust, and we often put a negative connotation to it, like it has to do with sensual things. The word lust simply means desire. In, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, the spirit lusts against the flesh, and the flesh lusts against the spirit. So these two are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do that which you would. So there's desire. The spirit of God desires us to control us, to consume us, to empower us, to enlighten us, to bless us. But there's this warfare. Uh, I, I've gone through a period of time I had uh, after a after I, I transitioned with the church, I had total knee replacement surgery and went through all the physical therapy, then got back in the gym and worked out and, and uh, had lost some weight before COVID hit and gained it back. And so I lost some weight again. And But that beast is still in there. How many of you like to eat? I'm hungry right now. I, I mean, I love to eat. That's about all I got left. Don't take my hamburger too. I mean, I love it. I, I love to eat. And, and, and so that, somebody the other day was telling me, said, man, you really look good. You've lost that weight. And I said, yeah, but that beast is still in there. The old nature will be with us until we get a, a, a glorified body. That, that, that thing is there and it gnaws at us constantly. And so this young man, it really began with desire, emotions. He began at that point. And then number two, it led to deception. The intellect became involved. He was not satisfied. You know, in James uh, chapter 1, there's a process that's mentioned. Let no man say when I am tempted, I am tempted of God. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he tempt any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Lust, when it conceives, brings forth sin. Sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. Adrian Rogers called that Satan's LSD. Lust which leads to sin, which leads to death. Entice means to bait a hook. And so, and so it's enticing. 
you said a few minutes ago, or the, or the song leader said a few minutes ago about Brother Dan's message a few weeks ago. Sin is pretty. It looks good, but it's seasonal. In Hebrews chapter 11, Moses, it was said about him, that he chose rather to endure affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. It's seasonal. It looks pretty. It's attractive. It's appealing. But the, but the end result certainly is not like that. Satan, we've already heard it said a number of times this morning, is a liar. In fact, he's the father of lies. It began in the garden. He deceived. The Bible says he deceived Eve. Uh, he said, yea, hath God said? Did God really say all of that? Did God say you? And, and, and he deceived her. Adam was not deceived. Adam, with his, wise, with his eyes wide open, took that fruit and with that one act plunged us into sin. Everybody born from that point on was born with a nature, a bent toward sin. What about Lot? Lot was blessed by his uncle. Lot had a, a good situation. He was given a choice one day. What did he do? He chose the well-watered plains of Jordan. He should have said, Uncle, you choose. You've been good to me. You take what you want, I'll take the rest. What about David? David lingered when he should have been at war. What was he doing? He was back. And he looked and saw a woman bathing. And he said, I'll have her because he was a king. He made a choice. Deception. He was deceived. And that one move cost him dearly, really for the remainder of his life. Now, God forgave him, and, and he'll forgive any of us for things we do. And, that, and I'll talk about that in just a few minutes. And so first of all, there was a desire, and then there was deception, and it led to a decision. Notice with me in verse number 12. And the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the portion that falleth unto me. This young man was probably at 17 years of age. Jewish boys typically married between the ages of 18 and 20. But he made that decision. Typically, the oldest boy, the elder brother, would receive the larger part of the inheritance. But the father had to die first. And so you see, I want you to think about this. You see this massive disrespect. Here's a younger son who basically was saying to his father, since you're not going to die as quickly as I'd like for you to die to get my money, I'm going to just pretend you're already dead and show total disrespect. It's kind of like we have in our world today, this me first generation. Me first. I'm entitled. Give it to me. And in this situation here, he made that move. He made that decision. At the, the, the rest of verse 12, it says, and he divided unto them... His living. And this led to departure, the urgency of independence. By the way, it was away from the Father. And so in a fringy state, inwardly already separated from God, it began with a desire. And in verse 13, look what it says. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. Now, here's Satan's lie. I can really live now. I, I don't have any authority over me. I don't have parents telling me what to do. I don't have the church and the preacher always trying to tell me what to do. Uh, I don't 
have rules anymore. You know, I want you to think about this. We have this idea that, that, that I want to be free. But in essence, we're not free. The Word of God talks about sin and it says that we're a slave to sin. And so rather than being free, we're in bondage. And so we see this lie. And so with a hellish haste and a ruinous rush, he left. Please understand this, that life is with the Father and death is away from the Father. He that has the Son has life. In Him we live and move and have our being. He gives us life and breath and all things. And so life is with Him, real life. What's the next move? There's delight. Look at verse 13 again. Not many days the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. What a cost. Sin is fun for a season. The wages of sin is death. There's fun. It's delightful for a season. Satan doesn't tell us everything when he begins to lie to us. In verse 13, you see that little phrase, riotous living. It means waste. It literally means not to save. It's reckless, extravagant, dizzy energy expended. It's just, maybe you've been there before. Uh, maybe you've been in that situation. My father became a believer when I was 13, former Marine, hard-working, hard-drinking man. And I had an uncle. My father came from a family of 10. Had an uncle, one of his brothers, that had actually moved from where we lived in West Virginia, moved to Ohio. And he went out one couple of Sundays looking for a church for his wife. He wasn't even a Christian. And uh, my uncle went to a church and after several Sundays got saved and eventually moved back and started a business in West Virginia. And one by one, he began to witness to all of his brothers and sisters. And my father was the last one that he led to the Lord. And so when I was, when I was 13, my dad got saved. His, his temper calmed down. His vocabulary changed. I mean, my, my dad was a, a no nonsense kind of a guy. I, he loved us and there was no doubt about that. But he didn't tell you anything but one time. Next time that belt came off, they'd put him in prison today. Some of the things that he did. He didn't, he didn't play. But when he got saved, my dad went to church every Sunday. Morning, night, and Wednesday. And guess what? We went with him. It was non-negotiable. Get in the car. We're going to church. I'm sick. Well, then have you thrown up? No. Get in the car. Did you throw up? Good. You feel better? Get in the car. You want to eat here? Get in the car. You want to drive this car someday? We're going to church. And so I went to church. I heard enough gospel to save the whole world. But I was into... uh trying to be cool and trying to, and I was an athlete and, and just into all of that. And so I didn't get saved then. I had a football scholarship right after uh, high school and very, I was very immature. I couldn't believe they wanted me to play football and go to class. Now, couldn't this be an either or situation? <laughs> no, it wasn't that way. And I got, I got an academic problems and, uh, 
had a one-point average the first semester and had to set out, got drafted, went to the military, spent one year in the States and one year in Vietnam, came out, and uh, really for, for years after that, I, I lived a very reckless life. Um, I was a hard worker and made money. I owned part of a construction company. I worked for Union Carbide Supervision. Uh, my wife and I bought a supermarket. Uh, I say this to my shame. I'm not bragging on this. I'm just letting you know a little bit about my background. I had a nightclub and a gambling operation. And uh, at some point after I first got back from Vietnam, I started um, smoking pot. And one of my, quote, buddies said, why don't you uh, buy a quarter of a pound of this and, and sell three of the, the ounces and get your money back? You have some pot to smoke free and a little gas money extra. Well, I did that, and one thing led to another. Over the course of the next several years, it went from a quarter of a pound to a half a pound to a pound to two pounds to five pounds or ten pounds. When God saved me in 1979, I was dealing between 220 and 30 pounds of pot every 10 days or two weeks, had a gambling operation. I was a loan shark. I was making money hand over fist, but miserable. And God should have killed me. But I tell people this. I'm glad he did not give me what I deserved. He gave me what I needed, a Savior. My daddy prayed for me for 17 years. I want you to listen. This is a, this is a gospel truth. In my club, we would stay open after hours. In the town I was in, I had a couple of people I had to pay a little money to. And we operated after hours and made a lot of money gambling after hours. And I was up all weekend, got on a plane after that weekend, flew to Florida. My wife was already there. And uh, I, I was there to make a deal with some young Italians to start getting a quarter of a ton of Colombian pot delivered at a time. I've been up for a couple of days. I went there. I went to sleep. Uh, and when you've been up two or three days and you finally go to sleep, the bottom falls out. And I really went to sleep. And I began to get a few phone calls back from where I was from in West Virginia. And uh, finally, I was awakened to the point that I could talk. And I found out that my doorman in my club, who was an A3 black belt in karate, a great guy, big personality, but uh, would do anything for me. He was my pickup and delivery man. He, he took care of the door for me, and he had been blown up in a house. I think probably, in fact, I'm sure, that he was going to burn the house down for an insurance job. And while I was inside, it went off prematurely and blew him out. He had third-degree burns on 90% of his body. They flew him from there to Pittsburgh to a big burn unit, and that's when I got the call. So I got awakened, got cleaned up. I flew to Pittsburgh Two days later, I got to see him. It was in ICU. He had third-degree burns on 95% of his body. When I saw him, I was shocked. He was swollen, just like one big bandage. The stench was horrific. And I remember standing to this side of his bed, and his name was Tommy. I said, Tommy, if something happens, you don't make it. Are you ready to go? And he shook his head. He couldn't speak. Tears came to his eyes. And I found out later on that chaplain in that hospital loved Jesus led him to Christ on his deathbed. I hung around another day, went back to West Virginia. By that time, my wife and my oldest daughter, I have three daughters now, she, she was the only one I had at the time. They came back from Florida. And uh, when that occurred, I would have getting ready to go back to the club that night. But I didn't go that night. I stayed home. And uh, I turned the TV on and 
a man came on TV that night. His name was Jack Van Impey. He was doing a crusade in Detroit, Michigan on end time prophecy. I would have never watched that ordinarily. I wouldn't have been there to watch it ordinarily. But that night I was there in God's sovereign plan. And I heard what that man said. And by the time he finished preaching, I was under deep, deep conviction. I could barely breathe. I was laying in my bed and I was thinking about my life. And this was back now. You got to understand, this was 40 plus years ago. I was making 140, 50,000 a year tax-free money. I was miserable though. And, and I was in my bedroom thinking about my life, what a, what a mess it was. My wife came in and we started talking. And I said, you know, I'd really like to talk to dad. She said, why don't you give him a call? I said, well, it's too late. I'll call him tomorrow. And she said this, thank God. She said, Mick, if you don't call him tonight, you might not ever call him. And so about 10 minutes later, I called my father, got him out of bed, and he came up that night and led me to Jesus Christ. I went back in the nightclub one time, got rid of everything. And a miracle of miracles, in less than a year, God had called me to preach. I mean, the least likely candidate to be a preacher. You know, people were scratching their head and they think, well, he just a little something he's going through. Well, that's 1979. I've been going through it for a long time. And uh, they say, well, he'll be back. I have been back to do funerals and revivals, but I haven't been back in that life. And, and I'm thankful for a praying daddy. There are some of you in this room that have children or grandchildren that you're concerned about. You're thinking, I'm going to give up. Don't you ever give up. Don't you ever quit praying. My father could have given up a hundred or a thousand times, but he kept praying. <coughs> and I was told later that as my daddy prayed, he never prayed for his boys, and there's three of us, without weeping over us and begging God to save us. I got saved, and several months later, I led my younger brother to the Lord, and it got, God's just been so good to our family. I know who I am. I know what I deserve. I'm thankful I got what I needed not what I deserved. That's how God operates. And so here, here's a young man here, and, and you see this riotous living, this reckless, extravagant, dizzy kind of energy. So there was waste, and then number two, there was one in verse number 14. Look at the end of verse number 14. And he began to be in want. It begins in a frenzy, and it stops or ends in a famine. Can you, can you imagine? Here, here's this young man. I mean, he's got money. He's throwing money. Friends, people all around him. He's the life of the party, buying all the drinks, got all the liquor, got all the wine. Women, I mean, it's just the whole thing. One big party. Riotous, extravagant living. Where does it end? Look at verse 14 again in disappointment. The word says, and he began to be in want. Jeremiah 2.13 says this, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Two things there. Number one, forsaking God. For, listen, th there's only one way to heaven. I think you all know that, right? There's one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There is no other. There aren't two ways. There aren't a lot of options. There's no plan B. C can you imagine 
Paul said, I wouldn't frustrate the grace of God. If righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. There's no other, listen, if, if somehow we can work our way to heaven or, or get there apart from Jesus Christ, you can't. There's one way to heaven. There's one Savior. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. And then there's despair. Look at verse number 15. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. Degrading despair. He wanted immediate independence. The money's gone. And that word picture is that he glued himself to someone who didn't even like him or really want him. A hopeless situation. He has forfeited his Jewish religion. He can't go home. He's broke. He can't leave his new friends and admit failure. He's in the hog pen. You know, in, in the spiritual sense, now, now please, you, you look good this morning. Y'all, y'all, y'all look sharp. I'm serious. You look good. But you know, I mean, I'm, I gotta be honest with you. You can sit in a church. This is a beautiful, beautiful facility, beautiful church. You can sit in a facility like this and be as far from God as somebody out in the middle of a hellhole somewhere. Completely away from God. You can have on fine clothes, which you do. You can drive nice vehicles. You can live in a beautiful home. You can have a fat bank account. But if you are not plugged in to, 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 the, to, to the one that you sung about today, that light, if you're not plugged into the, the one who gives life, if you're not plugged into Jesus Christ, if you're not filled with His blessed Spirit and power, you are in a spiritual wasteland. Despair. What's the final end? There's disaster. Look at verse number 16. And he would have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. Where are the friends now? Where are the people now that he supported, uh, that he gave to, that he uh, spent all of his money for? He's at rock bottom. By the way, listen to me carefully. That is where Satan's lies always end up. The picture. By the way, sin is appealing. It is attractive. If it were not so, why would we do it? it Satan doesn't show us somebody that's strung out on drugs. He showed us somebody just wanting to do something one time for kicks. He doesn't show us someone in a rehab center because of alcohol abuse. He shows somebody... Just the life of the party, just having a drink or two. I have enough sense to know that taking a drink of a, a, a beer, a glass of wine is not going to send somebody to hell. But let me just tell you this. This is how I feel about it. I grew up in the home of an alcoholic. I had a nightclub when I was 21. I had another one when I was in my late 20s. I could look down those that bar in my mind and I could see people with other men's or women's husbands or wives. I, I can just see all. And look, for every one person that can take a drink of something and put it down, there's a thousand that cannot. The nature of it is what it is. 
And, and, and that's the truth. And I'm, I'm just speaking from my heart and I'm speaking from experience of what I've seen in my own life. Disaster. Rock bottom. Let me give you some word pictures. Marooned. Uprooted. Disconnected. Abandoned. That's where he's at. Can you imagine how lonely? I mean, here's a young man in a very selfish move, demanded his inheritance, got it, and couldn't wait to get out of town and started partying like a crazy man. But eventually, the word says a famine hit. The money was gone, the friends are gone, the resources are gone, and he's completely alone and abandoned. Let's look at some good news. Look at verse 17. There's some deliverance coming. And when he came to himself, I like that little phrase. When he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? Literally speaking, he came to his senses. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they'll be as white as wool. He came to himself. He, he, it was like he was in a coma. It was, and, and by the way, that's what sin does for us, isn't it? I mean, it, it puts us in that, in that spiritual coma. In, in that, I mean, we're just, it just, it's, it's crazy. But he came to himself. Comas can be very mysterious. 40% of people in comas, they either come out in 24 hours or die within two weeks. It's the Hebrew of that little word there, that little phrase came to himself, literally means stop being insane. Isn't that what sin does to us? Takes us farther than we plan to go, keeps us longer than we plan to stay, costs us more than we were willing to pay. That's what sin does to us. Well, then he comes to a time of decision. Look at verse number 18. Verse number 18. At the end of verse 17, he says, I perish with hunger. And then verse 18, I will arise and go to my father, and I'll say unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Do you know this is genuine repentance? I don't, can you remember the day or the night or the time when God really got a hold of your heart? When, when there was, by the word, godly sorrow works repentance to salvation not be repented of, but the sorrow of the word works death. Metanoeo is godly sorrow. God, I'm sorry. I've sinned against you. I'm sorry for my, that, that I've done that. The other one, metamelani, is I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry I'm in the mess I'm in. Here was a man here that was sorry. Genuine repentance. Do you remember when you repented of your sin? Do you remember when you said to the Lord, Lord, forgive me? Man, I can remember. I said, Lord, my life is an absolute mess. Please forgive me. Please save me. Boy, when you get to that point, guess what happens? He moves in and does it. Look at verse number 20. It says the first part of verse 20. He arose and came to his father. Listen to me carefully. 
You, you may be here this morning. See, Brother Dan didn't tell me anything about anything. He didn't tell me what to preach, not to preach. He didn't, he didn't say one word. So anything I say today is, is me and the Lord. So if you're going to get mad at somebody, don't get mad at him. I don't know where some of you are. I don't even know you. I'm honored to be here. I'm blessed to be here. I can't, I'm, I'm thrilled. But I don't know you. I remember saying this in our church one time back in, in Raleigh, and I, I said this. I said, I don't know where some of you might have been last night, what you might have done last night. And there was a young man there, good-looking young man, sharp young man, very successful young man. He'd been all night partying, and he just came to church on that Sunday because his mom was always asking him to come. Later that same day, he called me that evening and said, can I talk to you? We met at the church, and he got saved. Really, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where you might be. But it says in verse 20, he arose. I don't know. You see, we're not sure how far he came. But it began with a step. It begins with that change of mind. It begins with the understanding that I need forgiveness. I need a Savior. I need deliverance. Notice the response of the Father. I love this. Look at verse 20 again. He arose and came to his Father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Oh, man. Isn't that beautiful? The response of the father. Do you know that God loves you so much? God is so much more willing to save us, to forgive us, to restore us, to deliver us. The father ran to him. He saw him. He saw that move. He saw him. Maybe he was on the front porch. Maybe he'd been just out in that rocker and just every time he had a chance, he'd just sit out there and rock and pray for him. I don't know. But he saw him a great way off. And the Bible says he ran to him. He had compassion. He fell on his neck. He kissed him. Notice the response of the son in verse 21. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, kind of like David's sin in Psalm 51, that psalm of repentance. I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Now, you think, you think this young man was sorry? I mean, I mean, he just say, look, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I've been rebellious and demanding and self-centered. Notice the reply of the father. Look at verse 22. But the father said, it's like the father said, hush up, boy. (laughs) He said to his servants, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. The robe speaks of salvation or deliverance. Isaiah 61, verse 10, He hath clothed me with the garment of salvation and covered me with the robe of righteousness. How many of y'all know that the only righteousness any of us ever have is from Jesus Christ? He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God or Christ in and through him. The ring speaks of sonship. Fully restored. 
The shoes speak of security and protection. I mean, he gave him all those things. Look at verse 23. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. Now go back to verse number two for just a minute. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eats with them. Pray tell. Receives sinners and eats with them. Aren't you glad the Lord Jesus receives sinners and eats with them? <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I sure am glad he did with me. And I've seen him do it many, many times. Look, look at verse number 24. For this my son was dead. He's alive. He was lost and is found. They began to be merry. You know what? When people get sad, we got to have a celebration. We, we, we got to shout and clap and, and cry and just get happy when somebody comes to Jesus Christ. Now, I'm an avid sports fan. Let me just full, dis, full disclosure, okay? My daughter graduated from North Carolina State. I was supposed to be at that ball game yesterday, but I was here on my way driving. I had a funeral in it. About one o'clock, one thirty, and I drove to get here and spent the night. And uh, but North Carolina State beat Clemson yesterday. Do, do you think they were happy in Raleigh, North Carolina? They stormed the field. I mean, they got real happy, and, and I'm not against that. But how much more happy should we get when a poor lost sinner comes to Christ? When somebody who's been far from God, living like a, a, a fool and a maniac, gets right with God? What should we do? We ought to be happy. We ought to rejoice. You say, well, I don't think we ought to be too emotional. Now, we can get emotional at ball games and throw, and throw stuff and get crazy and, you know, and, but we can't get happy in the house of God when somebody comes to Jesus Christ. Oh my goodness. I'm glad that the father did not say to the son, son, you're grounded. I'm glad he didn't say, well, you can come back, but you've disgraced our family. We just have been ruined in our area. I'm glad he didn't say, okay, you can come back, where's the money? <laughs> where's, the, where's the cash? He took the cash and made a dash. Where's the cash? He didn't say, I don't approve of what you've done, but you're still my son. What did he say? Welcome home, son. I love you. Listen. I don't know who I'm talking to today. I, I don't know who's hearing what I'm saying. I know you're all hearing it. I don't know who this might be really impacting today. I've heard, I've been pastoring now for 40 years. I've heard people say, preacher, you just don't know how far I've gone. You don't know what I'm doing. God does. And, and the same Father that's represented in this passage right here will see you as you make that turn to Him a great way off. And He'll have compassion and He'll run to you. He'll fall on you and He'll grab you and He'll say, welcome home, son. Welcome home, daughter. Welcome home. I love you. I'm glad you're here. Wouldn't it be a great, great thing to see that. I know this is homecoming Sunday. It's a little, a little, I know it's a little different today, but if God's spoken to your heart, and I don't, I have no idea what God, God, God there have been times that I've, 
I preach to Christians to try to edify and build up, and somebody comes and gets saved. There's, there's times I do a, a pure evangelism type message and people come and recommit themselves to, to the Savior. So I don't really know. But here's one thing that I do know, that God can take his word and accomplish with his word whatever he desires to accomplish with it. And here's what I want to say to you. If, if God's spoken to your heart, maybe it's simply this matter of saying, okay, I need to pray more. I need to live out my faith in a better, more effective way. Maybe you just need to come and, and spend some time at the altar and just say, Lord, help me. I want to be effective. I, I've got a brother. I've got a sister. I've got a mom or a dad. I've got a grandparent. I've got a son or a daughter. I've got a best friend at work. I've got a best friend that I've known since back in kindergarten. And they're living crazy, reckless lives. They act like there is no God. No heaven or hell. But God, I, I want to I be more effective as I talk with them, as I pray for them. You may be here today, and this is your day of salvation. Today's the day of salvation. Now is accepted. Today, harden not your heart. I don't really know, but I promise you this, God does. And here's something else. So do you. So do you. What will you do with what you've heard today? Let's pray. Precious Father, Lord, thank you for letting me be here today. Thank you for these dear people. They have listened so well. They've been so, so respectful, so kind to me. I know that Brother Dan does an outstanding job here preaching and teaching the Word of God. And it's very obvious and apparent from just being here this, this day. Father, I pray for that soul that needs you, the soul that's nearest hell. There's one heartbeat from eternity without God, without Christ, and without hope for them. They may have grown up in church. They may have heard the gospel all their lives, but they've never really responded with an open heart and trusted Christ as Savior. They've never really repented, had that change of mind, which leads to a change of direction. So I pray today, Lord, that you'd give courage and boldness for whoever needs to make a decision today. Help them to do it. Maybe in their seat. Maybe in some public declaration. I don't really know. I'll leave that with you and them. But I pray that uh, that'll happen to you. And, and, and I, listen, I'm, I'm going to say this carefully. I'm, I'm not going to, I wouldn't ever do anything to call you out, embarrass you. I'm not going to do that. But how many today would be honest enough to say, preacher, you said some things today that God used to speak to my heart. And I want to acknowledge it. Would you just lift your hand? Anybody in the room at all? I see people, I see hands everywhere. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you. That, that encourages my heart. I don't know what that translates to. A phone call, a visit, an apology, and a word of encouragement to somebody. There could be someone here 
that needs to take that big step. It's a step. And I don't care what kind of, what kind of predicament they're in, what kind of sin they're in, what kind of trap they feel in. God give them the courage to make that step towards you. Because when they do, you'll have compassion and run and fall and kiss them. That's who you are. Father, bless now as we have, I guess, a song of invitation. We thank you for the liberty and the freedom that I've had in preaching today. In Jesus' name and for his sake, I pray. Amen.